0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, are we equipped to detect these COVID variants we hear so much about and how effective are the vaccines against them? We're going to talk with Dr. Gerald Evans about that. And staying with vaccines, is vaccine hesitancy becoming a big problem? Global Mail health reporter Kelly Grant joins us to talk about that. Ontario's premier says he is here for the students, but some doctors here in Ontario are not so sure about that. We'll explain in just a few minutes. And the Catholic Church continues to take heat for their lack of apologies when it comes to their world in the residential schools. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. To begin with, I want to focus once again on what's going on uh, with the COVID-19 and the vaccination program, which is, is really starting to pick up steam, and that's that's good. But the other element of this that we hear about continually now is is the concern about the, uh, well, the latest variant, is it's called, the Delta B1617. Uh, not quite sure exactly what this is. It's a variant. We've had variants before, but the, the medical experts are telling us that this is something that we really need to be cognizant about, about the concern here, and and some problems about actually even detecting whether or not we're dealing with that one. So try to add some clarity to. We're so pleased to welcome back to the program, Dr. Gerald Evans. Uh, Dr. Evans is the chair of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Queen's University. Uh, doctor, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us again today.
1: Thanks for having me back, Bill.
0: Let me ask you right up front then. Uh, I, uh, we were concerned about the, the variants that we've had so far. We been concerned about COVID-19, for, certainly, to begin with. Uh, why the, the – it seems to me to be a special concern about uh, this particular variant. And is, is, it, is it more severe? Is it more dangerous than what we've experienced?
1: And not really. I mean the characteristics of the delta variant are are really that it is also uh, highly transmissible, more transmissible even than the alpha variant, the previous b one one seven. The other thing we know about it is that, uh, It uh, requires really to get good, good protection against it. You need two shots versus one shot. So that means something about our uh, vaccinating policy. And then the third thing is, is that right now, at least, uh, we're trying to get a a sort of picture of how uh, widespread it is. uh, And that's a little bit more of a challenge just because it's a little bit harder to detect than the alpha variant.
0: How so? I mean, is is it that much of a difference? They're all cousins, I assume, doctor, but uh, it, do we not have the equipment to be able to ascertain whether or not we're dealing with the Delta variant?
1: Well, we do have uh, the right equipment, uh, but right now the problem is is that the, the rapid tests that we developed to be able to quickly identify uh, the Alpha, Beta, and Gamma variants, uh, which was a very quick test that could be done the second you had a positive you could do the test and in about an hour or two later you had an answer we can't do that with this delta variant because it lacks uh, two of the mutations that were used in that rapid test uh, that we uh, used to detect the other variants so that means we have to go to a somewhat more uh, labor intensive and somewhat longer test called whole g- genome sequencing where we actually have to sort of dissect the genetic um, uh, sort of markers of this uh, particular variant. So that's a little bit more time consuming. It's not as rapid and it's not as quick, but we're very uh, quickly now working on on developing those exact tests.
0: Well, how exactly would that be then, then doctor? Are we going back to square one where we have to have the things stick up our nose and, and, and get the sample that way?
1: Well, no, what we're doing right now is any positive samples we're screening of course for the original alpha beta gamma. And then we are uh, now examining uh, for the Delta variant. It's just a slower process uh, and we uh, are looking in particular areas uh, in the province here where we already have detected a signal that it has appeared just to try and get a really good handle on you know how prevalent is it. It's important to remember numbers are down dramatically as you just reported. um, And that'll be part and parcel of things because even though the percentage of the positive tests that are the delta variant uh, the total numbers are so low that uh, ultimately that's going to put the uh, that, that particular variant at a disadvantage
0: well, and again, we're into the idea and the discussion, I guess, about hotspots, aren't we? Because the the numbers I saw over the weekend, Doctor, indicate that Peel region, of course, just north of Toronto, seems to be, well, that's Brampton too, I should mention, uh, seems to be one of the areas where there seems to be a significant number of new cases of this delta, uh, which may, I guess, based on your description, may not be surprising because there's a lot of warehousing and things of that nature, people that uh, can't really work from home and, and they're being in close indoor spaces and I guess that's one of the the key factors in this isn't it?
1: Yes absolutely because this one is uh, more transmissible than the Alpha variant and we already knew that the Alpha variant was 40% more transmissible than the original one. Uh, The hotspots in Ontario at the moment appear to be uh, that region that's northwest of the uh, uh, Greater Toronto area Uh, and uh, interestingly enough a little bit uh, some suggestion of a signal in the uh, Kitchener-Waterloo area.
0: Yeah I've seen those numbers as well. So how does it how does it manifest itself? What if for for people that may be feeling a little bit under the weather uh, what's the process what should they be doing?
1: Well uh, again you know people with symptoms we certainly urge them to be tested people who've had uh, contact or at-risk contacts certainly should be tested. The symptoms of uh, of what we're seeing with this Delta variant don't appear to be any different than what we see with all the other variants and with the original strain. So it's going to present with those, those typical symptoms of fever, um, some systemic features like... Uh, aches and pains in the joints and muscles as well as some breathing difficulties uh, or some shortness of breath so those are the things to watch out for Uh, at the moment we are really uncertain whether it is more dangerous than the original variant or uh, the alpha variant but uh, at the moment uh, at least from the data we're getting from the uk which is a country that has been uh, dealing with it uh, and to some extent from india of course as well where where the variant was first described uh, don't suggest that it's necessarily uh, nastier than the other virus
0: with the, uh, the variations that we dealt with already, doctor, one of the concerns that uh, I believe you talked to us about a few months ago now, was how rapidly it progresses in the body. Uh, that, that, uh, and, and that was a concern. People that thought, oh, I, I can re- ride this out at home, and then all of a sudden found themselves in the hospital hours later, uh, because of the rapidity that of, of the of, the, of the, the virus itself and how it took over the body. Uh, do you have similar concerns with the Delta vi- er, variant here?
1: Now, at the moment, we think it's a, s- a similar problem. And what we described when you and I talked uh, talked last was the fact that uh, oftentimes the first week of infection after the onset of symptoms often tends to be uh, you know it's not a nice illness uh, as many people will describe it but people don't seem to be in trouble but ultimately uh, later in the course of the illness somewhere around sort of 10 to 14 days some people not all but a small minority people progress into a more severe form of the disease which we think is related to uh, a sort of increased inflammatory response to the virus uh, or that's induced by the virus and so uh, this one seems to be following perhaps a similar pattern from what we've seen described so far in the literature but the overall number of cases um, uh, that we've heard about outside of India haven't suggested that. And uh, we're still waiting to see some of the data uh, coming out of India to tell us whether or not this is a, a virus that has a different course of illness, or is more severe.
0: With uh, Dr. Gerald Evans, uh, you mentioned vaccinations a couple of minutes ago. Let's let's talk about that if we could. Uh, there's uh, a, an increase, of course, in in the, the program here in the province of Ontario right now to try to speed up second doses for people. Uh, which I guess the first message, I guess the first takeaway, doctor, is uh, there's still a lot of people in this province that haven't even received their first dose. Uh, uh, this, I think, if not, if nothing else, should remind us that, uh, that we're not out of the woods on this yet, are we? And if people have not been vaccinated yet, uh, they better rethink that process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, First shots are incredibly important. Uh, We've actually done very well, and we're one of the number uh, sort of lead countries with first vaccines. But what we're falling behind a bit now is in second vaccines, and that's okay, because that was our original strategy was get first doses into as many people as possible. And we've seen the effect of that by the absolute reduction in cases that's been going on uh, when coupled with our public health measures. Now with the Delta variant and with some preliminary data suggesting that protection against delta is better with two shots versus just one shot now the strategy has to start uh, looking at a change to get those second shots into all the people who have had first shots uh, at this time because we know if we do that we will really put delta at a disadvantage and it's unlikely to have an opportunity to resurge and if we do it in particular spot hot spots where delta may be more prevalent there is a spillover effect in areas around that, that you'll never see Delta emerge out. And, and that's the real way to avoid uh, what might be a sort of small, but you know, potentially significant fourth wave uh, that would be generated by the Delta variant
0: some of the numbers I saw I found a little troubling though even for those of us like myself that have only had the first dose so far Uh, I've got a second dose, but it's not for a little while I'm gonna be calling Public Health about that later today but that's I'll get into that later Uh, but the Pfizer vaccine which I received I I was you know pleased to see the numbers 85 to 90 percent effective of course but I my understanding is with only one dose this variant that we're talking about now, Doctor, the Delta variant, uh, the the vaccine at my first shot is only about thirty five percent effective. It, it the, the efficacy goes down considerably, which I guess just underscores your point that we really need to to ramp up the program for second shots.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, th- that data is uh, from a preprint study, so it hasn't been peer-reviewed, but certainly is available to look at. And and I had posted those numbers out there. It is uh, related to, uh, you know, a definition of vaccine efficacy. Uh, 35% isn't great for obvious reasons. Easy to sort of spot that. But on the other hand, uh, we don't know that whether or not uh, that's applicable across, you know, all age groups um, and, uh, and others. But yeah, it certainly drives home the point if that data is reproduced and we can see that there a disadvantage to only one dose versus two doses then one of our most important strategies for delta is to get two shots into as many people as we can.
0: Now this is the same variant that caused havoc, and we saw the pictures uh, a couple of weeks ago in India uh, about just a, a horrific response that, that when they got theirs. Uh, uh, we seem to be handling it, and I don't mean to be, you know, guess, uh, for one second uh, uh, implicating the idea that, hey, it, this is no big deal, because it can be, and we've seen how rapidly it can happen. But, but does that, as you mentioned, the statistic that indicates that many of us now have received that first dose, uh, is that why we're keeping the numbers down, at, so, uh, at least for now anyway?
1: Uh, I think so. And of course, we've had a really uh, strong uh, and I think appropriately prolonged uh, sort of uh, place of uh, public health restrictions. That's helped enormously. I mean, the problem with India in in many ways uh, being affected by Delta variant was the fact that they came through the first two waves with really very few cases. So there was not a lot of population immunity um, Uh in that area. It's a very densely populated country. And a lot of the stuff that we were seeing in media was really related to the fact that the healthcare system in India is uh, severely constrained. There's just not enough uh, hospital-based care to deal with seriously ill patients affected by COVID-19. So uh, that's really uh, most of the elements of of why it seems to have hit India uh, quite badly
0: when you look at the hotspots that you were just describing you, you talked about peel region of course and, and, and we, i saw the numbers too just as you were mentioning about kw and some of the concerns there what would your advice be uh, to to the government right now do we do we just you know blitz those areas with with second shots and just tell people look just i don't care how old you are whatever just come in and get that second shot is that a strategy we might be following it to, to try to to keep these numbers down
1: yeah i think that's exactly the sort of strategy uh that uh, that is being discussed at the moment um it's to take you know these extra doses of vaccine that are coming in we know that vaccine shipments to canada are- are increasing, uh, and any extra doses, and that should be, uh, I think, placed into a program that allows for uh, second shots to be given broadly across uh, all age groups in those particular hotspots. Um, it it it's a it actually is a form of something that we we refer to in in uh, vaccine science and infectious diseases as ring vaccination. If I vaccinate everybody around uh, where a virus is uh, currently being transmitted, it has no way of emerging out of that epicenter or source where it exists and so that actually ends up protecting everybody else when we get those second shots into an area where the delta variant is trying to gain a foothold because if we do that it'll never get that foothold and we'll not have to worry about it
0: i don't, I don't want to drag you into the political weeds here but uh, so your advice and for those people that are saying come on let's open everything up and the, the things are under control the numbers for new cases are down again uh the, the advice that uh, that they got from the health uh, table suggesting they wait until another, well, I guess the middle of June, really, is probably a pretty good idea until we get a handle on this.
1: Absolutely, uh, Bill. Absolutely, we we really need to stick to the uh, the current uh, dates that were out there. Uh, I know everyone is really uh, anxious and wants to get uh, you know things moving along to the reopening, but uh, we need to be just very prudent and careful. Um, a colleague of mine uh, talked about us crossing this. Uh, uh, area, uh, and waiting to get it open as a minefield. And really we're at the very edge of the minefield, but we haven't cleared it yet. So I would stick to those dates. I would not be pushing dates up further. And I would be, um, you know, certainly recommending to keep continue to watch those numbers here in Ontario. In my view, we need to get uh, a seven day average of new cases per day somewhere around or less than 400. And right now we're starting to get very close there. Today's numbers are, are 525 for new cases seven day running averages begin to approach 500 so we just need to have this extra push for a week or two i think and we're we'll be in good shape
0: uh, and of course you get these concerns uh well, earlier i guess it was about a week or so ago now uh there was a, a bit of a blip in the numbers there and that was because of the victoria day weekend every time there seems to be a holiday weekend we uh, we seem to, to for, forget a little bit about the protocol that we're supposed to be following and uh, we've got canada day coming up in, a, in about uh, three and a half weeks now too and uh, some concern obviously about what that's going to happen but it'd be awfully nice if we had uh, made our way most of the way through that minefield by that time that's certainly going to help the scenario, i would think
1: yeah, absolutely, and and that's really why I think this push through June uh, as we approach the July 1st holiday is uh, incredibly important because if those numbers are really driven low, the, that prevalence of virus within our community is low, and we've got this really quickly moving and ramping up vaccine strategy uh, to get vaccine to everybody and, of course, two doses into as many people as possible. That's going to put us in an incredibly great position for the summer because the literal force of infection, which is... Really, the reproductive number times the prevalence of the disease will be at such a low point uh, that we'll be able to control it uh, fairly easily uh, with measures um, that don't require, you know, lockdowns and stay-at-home orders
0: uh i got a couple of seconds left here i appreciate your time today doctor but maybe the, the the last message here the takeaway uh even if you get that second shot you're not bulletproof uh, i've seen some comments on social media over the weekend got my second shot you know let's open the restaurants up you can still uh contract you can still be affected by these variants or the virus itself uh if, thankfully of course the the symptoms may not be as severe but you're still liable i guess we all still for at least the time being anyway
1: yeah, absolutely true, Bill. One of the key things—remember, two weeks after your second shot—is really when you become uh, or get that max maximum vaccine efficacy. And it's important for people to understand the protection offered by the vaccine is enormous. It's above. but you can still acquire the virus it'll be in low numbers and may not be that transmissible we've seen data that suggests double vaccinees are less likely to transmit but it's still possible so being careful and using all of the appropriate measures including masks is incredibly important as we move ourselves and transition out of this pandemic back to a more normal existence
0: doctor always great to get your perspective on this and and to put things in order for us Uh, we've still got a long way to go and uh, we're always happy to to have you join us to give us uh, some ideas to where we are on that path thanks so much for this today Uh, stay well and we'll talk again soon i hope
1: thanks bill and you too
0: you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml there's a, a growing concern here about vaccine hesitancy. I know we talked about that in the initial stages, but we figured, okay, a lot of people have probably overcome that. Uh, I'm not so sure it's not even getting worse to a certain extent. Uh, Kelly Grant is the health reporter for the Globe and Mail, and I'm so glad she had some time to join us here today. Kelly, first of all, thanks so much for the time. Uh, very interesting piece in the Globe today the, uh, the, that you've submitted, basically talking about a lot, an awful lot of people that maybe even have had the first shot that don't want to get the second one, uh, which is rather surprising.
2: Yeah, so I, I think this is something we're really going to have to keep an eye on over the next little while. Um, as you said in the intro, on the whole, you know, Canada has really done very well versus a lot of countries in terms of our enthusiasm for first-dose uptake. And so, of course, the hope is that there'll be as much enthusiasm for second dose. And I'm sure for all the people who are sitting online in the queue for the provincial booking system right now, it doesn't feel like hesitancy is a problem. It feels like, please, you know, can I can I get through to the system and get my shot? Mm -hmm. You know, there are pockets of resistance out there. And sometimes those pockets of resistance happen to be in communities that have been really hard hit by COVID. So there'll have to be lots of work done to make sure that, you know, people in those communities and in those situations have lots of access are um, are contacted if, for example, they're homebound seniors, contacted if they don't speak English as a first language, contacted if, um, y- you know, they have some difficulty managing our somewhat confusing system <laughs> to book a dose. Um, so I-, I just think that will have to be a lot of effort to make sure that um, Everybody gets reached for both a first and a second dose as soon as we can. It's just growing more important by the day.
0: From the research you've done on this, uh, how would you rate the uh, the efficacy of of reaching out to those groups uh, to make sure that the message gets out there?
2: So I think it really depends on how it is done. I mean, the city of Toronto, I think, has, has really put a lot of effort into this, and I've been pretty impressed at the lengths they're going to. You know, they now have a new text campaign called called Vaxio where they're doing telephone town halls they are texting people directly to say you know hey do you do you need a, a vaccine or do you need some more information about how to book you know they had library workers call seniors directly they had done they and the hospitals in in Toronto have done just a ton of very local pop-ups working with local community groups to try to bring people out so i think really the key for some of the people who still remain hesitant right now is to be contacted and invited in by people they trust Mm. whether it is you know community leaders local business leaders faith leaders are a huge help Um, you know there are some people who are nervous about this and I think the the work being done to sort of establish trust and answer people's questions uh, really makes a big difference but one of the most important things to remember is that that work takes time right so Often, you know, if you really just wanna run your numbers up, then it's easy to, you know, have all the people who are sort of clamoring and they're online and they're totally capable. They have a car, they can drive to a mass vaccination center, or they speak English, they're really, you know, internet savvy and can figure out how to get a dose. You know, if you just wanna run your numbers up, those people make it easy to get the numbers really high. But it what we don't wanna do is leave behind especially people, you know, for whom these doses make a big difference because they are at an elevated level of risk.
0: And as I know, and as you've been reporting, uh, it's one—it's one thing to have a celebrity doing, a, you know, a hockey player or a, bit, or a politician or something, but somebody from within that group, that that ethnicity, uh, that 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 community, uh, is probably the best one to deliver that message, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it it absolutely is, and it really makes a big difference. Um, So there is that building of trust, but I, you know, I do also want to emphasize that in a lot of ways it is also about access, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had a story today looking specifically at Brampton and around some of the hesitancy issues there. Now on the whole, you know, their, their overall uptake is not much behind a lot of other parts of the GTA, you know, but they, you know, Peel did get more, Peel in Toronto and, you know, other hotspots did A, get more vaccines and B um, have, have the opportunity to get a vaccine opened up significantly earlier than some other parts of the province. So you would expect them to be quite far ahead rather than just being a tiny bit behind. Um so so yeah, that's uh that that's sort of the the situation out there. And when you know when we spoke with some of the people who are running some of the say the pop-up vaccination efforts, you know, they did say that, you know, they would run into people who, you know, have been eligible for a couple of months but who hadn't had a chance come and get vaccinated yet because you know they work two or three jobs with erratic Mm -hmm. unpredictable hours or they're long-haul truckers and they're really only in in town for one day and if you know that you know some of the vaccines people react differently some people you know have a day or two of sort of fever and chills and, and sort of feeling pretty crummy some people don't experience much of anything at all but you know if you only had one day in the city and then knew you had to be behind the wheel of a truck for the next second, seven days, you know maybe you'd want to wait until you have an opportunity to have two days off in a row before you do it. So there's access issues too. It's certainly not just a hesitancy thing.
0: But uh, for the piece today, I mean, you actually talked to some people that are hesitant about the second dose because they've heard or maybe personally experienced some of those after effects of that first dose and say, I don't think I want to go through that.
2: Yeah, I think one of the tricks there is that Coupled with that concern is people who still think that COVID itself is not much of a threat. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the woman we spoke to in the lead of our story today, you know, she's in her early 20s, right? And the truth is, for most people who are very young, you know, a case of COVID um, for you personally will is unlikely to make you sick enough to land in the hospital or die. There just have been. Not that many cases of very young people getting super sick. Now, there have been some, and there certainly are some cases of people who've had, you know, long COVID of symptoms, so I don't want it to, to minimize that. But what's really important for that group is that the younger age groups have been the most responsible for spread. They've had the most cases. They tend to have most, the most contacts. Whether because they're doing frontline jobs or because they're just a little bit more social, but as you've watched sort of all the way along the pandemic in Canada, it has always been sort of the the people, especially in the early 20s and late teens, who, as a proportion of their age group, have had the most cases. So I can see why you know you think, well, I mean, is COVID really going to hurt me? And you know, I took this first dose and I felt like you know a bag of crap for a couple of days. Do I really want to take this second dose? You know, I I hope the message is, is, yes, please, you do, because you you could be one of the rare cases who are who, you know, who winds up getting sick, sicker. But most importantly, you know, you're making a real difference to the community around you by choosing to get vaccinated and helping to bring down that caseload overall and making sure that you don't play a part in a sort of chain reaction of spread that does lead to somebody who's more vulnerable getting sicker
0: vaccine hesitancy can take on many forms and as you've been telling us and writing about for the last little while there was a lot of concern about astrazeneca because of the the clotting issue we get that but you uncovered a a number of people here that were concerned about moderna what's up what's going on there
2: yeah so this is a really kind of funny thing that i didn't expect because um, just to let your listeners know both the pfizer BioNTech, and moderna shops both use a technology called messenger RNA, and they've performed virtually identically in both the clinical trials and all the real-world studies that have happened that since they have rolled out. But Pfizer has somehow gotten this reputation as being kind of a gold standard vaccine. So we have heard of a few cases, and this is reported in other places too, where people are showing at the clinics and saying, I don't want Moderna. And I don't necessarily think it is because people have a specific dislike or hate on of Moderna. It's more that they want the Pfizer because they're just like, well, haven't I heard that Pfizer is the best? I think there may be a little bit of an element of, if you've heard anything about Moderna in the news in Canada, if you're only sort of paying, glancing attention, you may have heard that they have been less reliable in terms of delivering their shipments. You know, Pfizer has come Mm, in since February. It's come in like clockwork. And there have been issues with Moderna not coming in on time and, you know, them having to uh, delay some of their shipments or cut shipments in half. And that's really an issue regarding their ability to sort of scale up production for this giant global demand. It doesn't have anything to do with the safety or effectiveness of the vaccine. And and the vaccine has performed really well on both those fronts. But I can imagine that maybe people have been like, well, the only thing I've heard about Moderna is like, don't they like just keep cutting their shipments and doesn't their stuff not come in on time? So maybe there's a chance that that has like sort of planted a seed of doubt in people's minds. Um, but you know, uh, both, both the Pfizer Biotech and moderna vaccines have performed really well. They're very safe, they're very effective. We're really lucky in Canada that we have so many doses of both of them.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of looking like that's uh, the predominant, I guess, couple of vaccines that we're going to be dealing with going forward here. I mean, AstraZeneca is still out there, but the fact that those people can actually get second shots of either Moderna or Pfizer instead of AstraZeneca kind of indicates which way they're going. Uh, A great piece today in the Globe and Mail. uh, People get some time to read it, uh, and some of the stories that you tell, always fascinating and uh, informative. Kelly, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us again today. Thanks for having me kelly grant who is the health reporter for the uh, globe and mail and uh, keep an eye on what's going on and the some surpri- surprising stories of what's going on in peel region and we see some of the numbers and they are concerning as our our guest dr evans told us in the first part of the program here today too and that vaccine hesitancy and vaccine shopping uh seems to be a growing concern and a growing factor in that particular area glad you're with us today this is the bill kelly show 980 cfpl in london 900 chml in hamilton uh, i want to revisit the uh... for decision to uh, not open the schools again in the month of june I I know that there was a lot of pushback on that and we're hearing differing opinions from uh, different doctors and experts in this as to whether or not it was the right call or the wrong call uh we've had an awful lot of evidence that indicates that uh, the school environment is where our kids should be uh and uh, well just wondering if it's the government is being rather selective in the information uh that they're leaning on to try to, to validate their decision uh there's a great piece uh, that uh, i think covers that today. It's in the National Post, printed in today's edition of the National Post. Uh, One of the authors of that is uh, Dr. Kuojo Karamantang, who is a palliative care physician at the Ottawa Hospital and a professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Ottawa, joins us now on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Bill.
0: You've underscored a lot of the things that we've talked about and that I've heard from from a number of your colleagues over the last couple of weeks, Doctor, and it's basically uh, one of the reasons that the Premier told us that the, he was on the right side of this was that he was told that there was going to be a, a, a bump, a, a blip in the number of new cases if the kids went back to school uh, and saying, well, that's the reason for this. But as you point out in the piece, uh, that's, first of all, conjecture. Second of all, what about all the other things that he wants to reopen? He has not told us what kind of a bump, if any, bump would be in that. So we're really only getting half the story here, aren't we?
3: Yeah, Bill, sorry about the announcement. Uh, That's okay. Yet, but, uh, Live yeah. radio, doctor, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, honestly, Bill, it's part of what has always concerned me about our, our, some of our COVID responses. You know, I in my research, I do a lot of cost evaluations and so you, you look at the risk benefit you look at the cost benefit ratios and whenever we make these decisions you got to look at what is the cost right like and, and yes we want to make sure that we limit the amount of patients that come into hospital with COVID but what are the other impacts of our decisions so like when it comes to school closures where, where's the modeling for mental health the, the where's the modeling for the, the uh, physical impacts the weight gains uh, I've had uh, uh, pediatricians tell me that they've started some of their kids on blood pressure medications for example or the modeling for the child abuse uh, rates that we, we receive during these closures so this is one of the things that has really baffled me and, I, and I'll echo what you just said what we wrote in the paper bill is not sure where how they came up with these numbers in terms of what we're going to see for increasing cases but I'll just point towards our own country, for example, British Columbia right now, who never closed their schools in this third wave. Uh, they also kept outdoor gatherings at the same time, and they continue to have decreasing case numbers. Quebec opened up their schools earlier in May, and once again, continue to see uh, decrease in cases uh, despite uh, opening up. So, you know, I, I know it's, you know uh, it's a lot of opinions in terms of what we would expect but in my humble opinion i, I, I don't i'm not sure what the foundation was for expecting an a rise in cases
0: well, and th- that's part of the frustration I've been feeling, and certainly you and your colleagues have too, doctors, because uh, they don't uh, give us the, the, the data behind this. They simply say this is what we're being told, uh, and we don't know. I mean, on the science table, if there were, I don't know even how many, I forget how many doctors there are, but I mean, if we, even one of them offers an opinion like that, that seems to be when one they gravitate toward. But there's another ele- element to this too that I'm glad you included in the piece because we, we've tried to, to get this message across, and we've talked to the education minister about this. Uh, school is not just a place for children to learn, and that's a very important component. To that certainly, but as you point out in the piece, doctor, uh, school is also a place where children are fed, to f- be set, held secured and supported. In some cases, in some jurisdictions, of course, that meal that they may get at school is the only good meal they get through the course of the day. The only time they may feel secure about that. There's an element of, f- of public safety and public health here that the government seem to overlook.
3: Hundred percent. This is what I guess what eats up me especially my heartstrings, like we've done a, a group has done a, a bit of work. Uh, we started a charity, Bridges Over Barriers, uh, during the pandemic because of how, you know, the restrictions were impacting a lot of people on the margins, racialized communities, for example. And the school closures have been a massive hit on on some of these low-income uh, families. Like when you, you think of a single mom that's barely making... Uh, making ends meet and they had to choose between homeschooling and, and, and getting, a going to their, their job. And yeah, exactly. Like when you want to feed children, when you want to make sure that they're being evaluated, this is what schools are there for, you know, and we, we need to be talking more about that. Like I, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, anything aside from that message of staying home was a bit taboo, but we were, or, 15, 16 months into this thing and, you know, we should be talking about what the concerns are and what we're going to do about them because this, the impact of school closures, not only are they impacting, you know, the abilities for kids to be seen, but the education too, like that gap is widening between the haves and the have nots and it's it's hard to witness and, and just sit at, you know at, on the sidelines and do nothing and the other thing I'll say, Bill, real quick too is as an ICU doc, one of the things that is very clear is that socioeconomic status and education matters. The people that we see most frequently, whether, whether it's overall health, whether it's overdoses, whether it's suicide attempts, it, it's the socioeconomics and the educational status have an impact on that. And so for us to sit there and think that we are gonna do anything when, when this is so apparent and these impacts could be generational, I think it's we're we're doing our, our population a
0: disservice. Uh, we're just about out of time, but there's one other element to this. I'm going to encourage people to go and, and pick this up online if they can and read the whole piece. Uh, but as you uh, as you point out in the piece today, doctor. Uh, the, the justification, not just you know from, from the premier, but to suggest that well we're not so sure the you know, the buildings are safe, the ventilation systems, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, uh, there's as you mentioned in the piece, there's no guarantee it's going to be any better in September. I mean, you know they've been saying that for a year and they still haven't fixed the problems that the, the premier outscore. And I find it a little more than interesting that one of the the justifications he he gave for not opening the schools is the fact that he and his government haven't done anything to fix the problems that existed a year ago in the schools themselves. Oh, it's
3: such, I. I gotta tell you, I'm nervous about September because there could be an onslaught of, of of excuses. As you mentioned, you know whether it's uh, you know schools are deemed safe or not. There's you know this threat of new variants. Are they gonna expect kids to be all kids to be vaccinated before coming in? Like the, the excuses could be endless. And so I, I, you know, I just this is why I think my for my personal point of view, it was so important to get this, the, the message and the kids back in, in June because, you know, this narrative of, you know, we need to be, do more, we need to be safer, we need to have this extra layer of protection can continue endlessly. Um, and, you know, and this also comes from a place of privilege when people say, let's just wait three weeks. Like, these are people that can or maybe afford to wait for three weeks. But as we talked about, those people that are struggling every day matters.
0: Uh, please check it out. It's in the National Post today. It's on their online edition, too, if you want to check this out. Uh, doctor, thank you, uh, first of all, for joining us today, for writing this piece and, and bringing this to uh, people's attention. And, uh, and, again, thank you for the great work that you and your, your colleagues are doing uh, at the University of Ottawa and uh, keeping us informed about this. Thank and Stay well, and uh, I'd love to talk to you again down the road.
3: I really appreciate the opportunity to Keep uh, doing the, the amazing uh, work that you're doing as well.
1: You're
0: listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Right now, we want to get back into the issue of the uh, the residential schools and the so many facets of this, and, and one of them, of course, being is the reaction from the uh, the Catholic Church over the last couple of days about this. Uh, the Pope uh, expressed sorrow about what happened with the residential schools. That's uh, not an apology. Uh, a number of people are asking for the uh, the Church to come forward and apologize and for accepting their role in this including of course Murray Sinclair who is the former chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee a former senator of course too he's uh, still upset about this as are many other aboriginal leaders so what is the church's responsibility and what should their response be as I mentioned in my commentary this morning at 810 on CHML uh, the reality is as the Catholic Church uh, tells their flock that if they want forgiveness for their sins they first m- must accept responsibility for their actions Should we not hold them to the same standard? That's a question I think a lot of people are asking. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Reverend Michael Corrin. Michael uh, is an author, an ordained cleric, of course, and uh, in the interest of full disclosure, a former colleague. Uh, For many, many years, Michael made his living behind the microphone as well and uh, was pretty good at it, too. Uh, Reverend Michael Corrin, good to have you back. Thank you so much for the time. How are you doing well these days, Michael? Right. It's a
4: pleasure to chat with you again. I wish the circumstances were not the same, but.
0: it is a a terrible situation and and there's a reticence, Michael, oftentimes from people seeing what's going on and and I think see a clear direction as to where things should be going here that, well, I don't want to start taking shots at the church because I I know some of the people I work with I mean, you know, I was raised Catholic, I was baptized Catholic went to school in the Catholic system and I I know the catechism, I know the doctrine here and I know what they're leaning on right now but but how do you tell people like that that uh, you're going down the wrong road?
4: I think we have to and i think it's a very christian thing to to tell people when they're in the wrong and i mean let's give context here because it's important to remember that pretty much everyone is responsible for what happened not just in the residential schools but the whole culture of Mm -hmm. of, of assuming presuming that indigenous people had to be changed the state the police churches almost everybody the church is because virtually every church was involved the difference, though, is that most, if not all of those churches, in particular Anglican, United, and so on, they have made profound apologies. And if you look at these apologies, look at the wording, they've taken ownership for the crime, because it was a crime, committed. They have said, it was us. We are sorry. Uh, and they've—I mean compensation has been offered. That's not enough. And not enough compensation has been paid, but it has been. But the apologies have been very personal and visceral and emotional and genuine. And the Pope... Over the weekend, and I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, no offence here, but his statement was awful. It was awful because it was bland. It was like it sounded like, "I'm sorry if you were offended." There was nothing specific. It, it was like it had been written by a team of lawyers. Um, it was it's what he says about all sorts of situations. There was nothing in that that, that indicated the Catholic Church realised what it had done. And also had acknowledged that although people have said sorry, particularly, I think, the Archbishop in, in British Columbia, the real apology has not happened. We're reading various accounts from Catholics in the press saying, well, we have apologized. We no, you haven't. It's for indigenous people to answer that question. And they've said you haven't. And you have to. And it has to come from Rome. I don't think the Pope has to come to this country. He's not a young man. I mean, that's asking too much. But he has mm-hmm. to stand there and say it was us. We are sorry. Every document will be open to you. Every file will be exposed to you. We will pay what we have to pay because it was us. We were part of this crime.
0: Billy. Did they think they did the right thing I mean and time and place Michael I know that's always going to be a, a an attempt at a justification for this well we were trying to spread the faith of God the, the message of God etc uh and, and as a young Catholic I mean we were told about missionary work and all this sort of stuff and we figure boy that what a great calling that is but you you're, you you just mentioned it a second ago the whole premise of that is these people their religion their culture their beliefs are, are just inferior to us and we must we must change them we must expose them to this I mean do we still have that mindset as as, 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 as a religious society
4: most people don't I, it does still exist i think in certain parts of the church i, I, I mean church as a whole christendom yeah normally yeah. it doesn't look um yes there's a problem with being anachronistic here there was a time when attitudes were different but even then if you read the accounts of the jesuits in ontario for example uh they immerse themselves in indigenous culture. They try to understand and work with people. Now, you may say, well, they shouldn't They shouldn't have been there anyway. Okay. But a very different approach. Lots of people approach things differently. I think there were people even involved in residential schools who weren't abusive themselves. They were part of an abusive system. But we're speaking of people who sexually abused, physically abused through, forgive me, but through the bodies of children in, into unmarked graves. I... I remember a man preaching in a church where I was interning, and, and he said that he, he, he once asked his grandfather why, why he never hugged him. And his grandfather eventually said, when I was at residential school, a hug was a precursor to being raped. I mean, he, it's hard to hold back the tears when you hear these stories. So, yes, there were people who thought they were doing right, but they were wrong. That's one thing. There were other people who quite clearly knew what they were doing was repugnant. And we we also saw this. It has to be said with the, the sexual abuse crisis, which is, is is ongoing. It has not been settled. Where the church didn't come forward to say, "My golly, what has happened here? We we, we have to put this right." They denied and um, they obfuscated. It took journalism. It took litigation for them to come forward with the truth. And they're still they're still appealing settlements. So a lot, so much more has to be done. And, and if I may. If we follow Jesus, Jesus was a first-century Jewish man who stood with the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized and the rejected, and he criticized and sometimes condemned the rich and the powerful and the legalistic. He wasn't an institution. He was a revolution, a revolution, a a permanent revolution of love and grace and justice and an institution that, that cannot follow that man in his authenticity completely. Has to ask serious questions of itself.
0: I, I I wonder just why there seems to be such a wall that's being built up here, Michael. Is it? I, I, do they understand that this is not hey, so we can say, "Gotcha"? See, we we're right all along. Uh, it's it's and it's 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 really just as i mentioned you can't have healing and that's what the pope said on the weekend it's what other church leaders have said but you know through your studies in theology you can't have healing unless there's forgiveness and you can't have forgiveness without all the facts being on the table and and and, and a, an admission of 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 you know somebody's role in this it's just it's not what we're supposed to do as i mentioned in the commentary i mean i was i was raised in the catholic religion for the you know the sacrament of confession the sacrament of forgiveness uh you 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 can't ask for it unless you, first of all, accept the fact that you've sinned.
4: Look, I don't want to get into details, but on a personal level, I had a major change in my life seven or eight years ago, and Mm -hmm. I can tell you, you take ownership of what you've done. You work like crazy to try to repair the damage you've done. You accept a penance as a price to pay. You're going to be hurt, and you ask forgiveness, and they have to go together, and the Catholic Church at an institutional level has yet to do this. We're not speaking of Catholic individuals. This country is almost 40% Catholic. Some of the angriest people right now, and I've never seen anger like this in my 34 years in Canada as I have right now against the Catholic church. A lot of the anger is coming from Catholics. Individual clergy who can't speak up, perhaps, and individual Catholic lay people because they know this is unjust. But an institution has gone within itself, it's frightened of the financial consequences, it's frightened of saying, again, we are wrong, And it's refusing to do the right thing, which is not trimming words. It's not going through legal filters. It's saying, we did it. We were wrong. We have to pay. And other churches have done that. And the Roman Catholic Church must stand with those churches, whatever the consequences are.
0: We talked with one of the survivors last week who uh, attended one of the schools here in southern Ontario as a young girl. And... uh she, some of the stories I mean michael brought tears to my eyes just the way she described some things about you know seeing children that were hit and beaten uh and just and gone the next day Where's so and so whether well, they were taken to the hospital and they never saw them again yeah. uh, we do we not as Canadians now that we, we are learning more and more about this have the right to ask uh, where are these people buried how did these people die and who are these people they had names.
4: I I think more than a right. I think we have an obligation to do so. I I think that uh, I I believe it will happen. I mean, this time, this is different, I believe. And and there'll now be further investigations. It's going to be very painful for this country um, because this is a, a birth defect of Canada's creation. As slavery was in the United States, I would suggest, our treatment of indigenous people. But if we're to move forward and progress as a nation, we have to do this. And the wounds may begin to heal. We, we can't insist on that, and maybe they never will completely, but we can certainly try to start that process. And yes, um, I think that's another part of the reluctance on, on the, when it comes to the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of the people involved, of course, are long gone. But not all of them. There are people involved um, in this in the 1960s, for example, in the 70s. And those names do have to be made public, not not to be punitive, not not to to hurt someone. But we have to know who did this. This was criminality. You, there has to be a consequence to your action. And, the, and there wasn't for more than 100 years. And and now it is time. And, and, and this applies to any form of injustice, whether whether it. What happened in the holocaust whether it's it, it what happened in 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 serbia and croatia you can't get away with crime and abuse and rape and murder and exploitation you simply cannot particularly particularly i would say if you're doing this under the guise of christianity which is a faith founded by the prince of peace
0: and I don't hear anybody saying, "Well, this is all the Catholic Church's fault," because no. it wasn't. Uh, and you mentioned about, you know, accepting the responsibilities and the culpability. I guess, if, if they, to, to that extent, uh, politicians of that day and this day certainly have a lot to answer for here too. Uh, and we we're even seeing some pushback there. I mean, with the Edgerton Ryerson and John A. McDonald and other folks that that were involved in the political element of that of that particular uh, process over those, those number of years too. Uh, this is this. I think you're absolutely right. This is going to be a very very painful exercise for everybody in this country but you have to shine the light on this don't you michael
4: well you do and we've seen this elsewhere we've seen it in the us and the uk uh, the the whole debate about statues and so on Uh, and uh i understand a certain conservatism over a country's heritage but really a statue i mean toppling a statue uh, compared to the 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 generational suffering and abuse of a people uh, we've got to get this in proportion that we we do have to question and It doesn't mean we we agree with everything that is said, but there there has to be a a radical reinterpretation of what it means to be just. Uh, We've built so much of this great in Canada, but we have a a long way to go. And I don't think people should be frightened of that change. And and particularly when it comes to religious institutions or Christian institutions, fear should not be part of this. Um, Change can be intimidating. I'm a 62-year-old straight white man. I mean, what do you you think? The world is terrifying in many ways. But it it really isn't. If you actually look with different eyes, if you see the progress that is being made, that people are living it in a freer, more just way, it's actually a very exciting way to view the world. But yes, it's going to be a bumpy road, and I'm just urging the institution of the Catholic Church, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, if at all possible, please get on board with this forward movement because at the moment you're not doing yourself any good. Um, You're causing more pain to indigenous people. And I'm sorry, but you're not doing any good for the the reputation of Christianity either.
0: How are Catholics supposed to respond to this? Well, individual Catholics,
4: uh, I mean, I think it's unfair to ask anything of of them. What influence do they have? But I mean, if I could be so bold, I would let your bishop know how you feel. Uh, often, uh, the, the episcopacy, the Catholic bishops, and so on, can be quite detached from what is going on. Write letters, uh, tell them how upset you are. How, as as a Catholic who believes in the teaching of the Church, you do want change to happen. Uh, it may achieve something. I don't know if it will, but it may. This is a church based in authority, and, and I understand the teaching. I mean, I don't embrace it, but I understand it, and it has the the final analysis come from the papacy it has to come from the vatican whoever advised the pope over the weekend to make that statement has no idea what is going on i then watched cardinal collins on the cbc being interviewed and i mean again it was he did not do any good in fact it probably made the situation worse but there, there has to be if there can be pressure from individual catholics uh, Go to your clergy who may well be on your side. Certainly write to your bishop. I can tell you that the more conservative-minded people in the Catholic Church are very good at writing to their bishops, because uh, I, I, I felt their sting many years ago when I was in the Catholic Church. Write to them. and um, Make sure they realize just how many of you there are. I think quite a few Catholic bishops are, are on your side, but they they're also limited in what they're allowed to say and do
0: exactly uh reverend michael corin michael as always thank you so much for this I, I i know you've been thinking about this writing about this an awful lot and, and uh it, it tears at the soul to understand what's going on here and uh, especially when we understand that we probably only know a small percentage of what we really should know in this situation thanks again yes. for this michael great talking with you again anytime Richard.